Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. Remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Nick D, at Kangaroo Trivesh, Paul M, and Jared W. Wayne Hiley has joined us today. Wayne is Managing Director and CEO of Peninsula Energy, a U.S.-focused uranium project developer-producer advancing and optimizing the Lance ISR project in Wyoming. The company is listed on the Australian Securities Exchange under the symbol P-E-N and also on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol P-E-N-M-F. Wayne, thanks for taking the time with us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me along. Well, Wayne, why don't you tell the audience about your background going back before you started spending time in the uranium business? Well, that would have been college. Uh, Andrew, I, I actually came straight out of college in, in, um, with a degree in metallurgical engineering and entered the uranium production industry. I uh, started my career in, in South Texas uh, at a uranium mill as a mill metallurgist, and uh, uh, I became a lifer to uranium. I've now uh, been in this industry for well over 30 years, and uh, the progression of my career has been through uh, uranium operations, production, um, into management, uh, supervision of operations uh, later. Uh, uh, construction and, and um, the design and, and building of the new facilities and, and now um, as the CEO of Peninsula, um, I'm overseeing the uranium production company. So it's been a long, uh, interesting 30-year pathway, but I don't uh, have a career before uranium. So Wayne, you, you spent some time uh, with some other companies in the sector, including UR Energy. What was learned through the Lost Creek experience, and why did you end up leaving to join Peninsula? Well, Lost Creek uh, and, and um, UR Energy was, was, a, was a very uh, exciting chapter in my life. I had, um, at the time I joined um, uh, UR Energy, uh, which was around 2007, I had put in, uh, um, what, nearly 20 years in, in the uranium industry, and, and UR Energy came along and, and had some projects in the state of Wyoming where I live, and um, you know they asked if, if I would be willing to head up the team or, or to build a team and head up the, the project of, of uh, putting a production facility on the map. So um, essentially, as, as um, UR Energy's uh, Wyoming employee number one, I helped the company um, recruit a team, build a team, permit a mine, design the mine, build the mine, and, and put the mine into production. That was my ambition at the time. I, I, um, I thought it would be really great after the earlier part of my career to, to spend some time uh, growing a company and, and building a, a facility that, that um, hopefully would, would do well. I think, you know, in the rearview mirror, uh, Lost Creek today is, is respected as a uh, low-cost production center that has, you know, that has the ability to produce uh, 
at at uh, designed rates and and at at very low cost. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the work that the that uh, was done with the team at UR Energy uh, back in the day. Uh, but at that point in time, uh, you know, we had uh, we had the experience of really uh, having our uh, I always say our baby was born into the depression. Uh, you know, Lost Creek, uh, just like any other project, did take uh, an extended period of time to, you know, to garner our regulatory approvals. And, and by the time that we had um, gone down the pathway of designing and, and permitting and, and finally building, uh, Fukushima had happened and the uranium markets had turned for the worse. And uh, you know, despite our ambitions to build a, a project that could produce uh, one to two million pounds a year, uh, we found that the market wasn't calling for that production. And uh, you know, I was I was staring at a uh, future with a with a, a company that that had one project that uh, wasn't going to go anywhere in the near future. Um, I'm an entrepreneurial sort, and uh, I enjoy um, the challenges of building. Uh, and and creating and at that point in time we said we checked the boxes that we set out to when we started and and it was time to move on and i didn't go directly into to peninsula but actually uh, and I hung up my shingle and started doing some consulting work for the industry for a couple of years uh, ultimately i i did some consulting work with peninsula that led to my appointment as the ceo well i appreciate the background there and, and uh the discussion on on how how things went at UR and and uh, sounds like you've you've spent a lot of time in Wyoming and, and know that area extremely well. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about just the broad uranium market. Uh, what is your position regarding the market today, and how does it look today compared to your experience during the last price ramp up? Yeah. Um... But oddly, and as, as I was preparing for this, I, I looked at the, the spot market today and, and, the, and the spot price in 2005, which was right before the last uh, run-up. And believe it or not, the spot price today is, is essentially what it was at the beginning of 2005, which was the start of that uh, bull market and the end of a very long bear market. Uh, that, that's really an anomaly and not a predictor that that the that the market's going to turn for the better in, in the next year or two. Um, my view on the uranium markets is is it's a is a very long term one. Um, if you look, if and it really goes back to you know when I started in the in the uh, late 1980s, uh, the price of uranium in, in 1988 when I was recruited into the industry was $16 a pound. Uh, in today's dollars, that would be about $35 a pound. Um, we, uh, we thought supply and demand was a little bit out of balance at the time. It would take two to three years uh, to correct that there was an oversupply in the market. Um, 16 years later, um, uh, with the price uh, dropping down to 10 or even $8 a pound, uh, you know, 16 years later, the price recovered to $16 a pound. So I watched a very, very long bear market during the start of my career. And, and my perspective on the uranium market is that it's a large uh, moving ship on the ocean that's hard to turn. Um, uranium demand, it's very apparent. It's very transparent. You can see uranium demand for years out. 
um, it, it's it's like the rough waters that are ahead in the uranium market. We can see them coming, and we got this huge ship sailing towards towards stormy waters, but there's nobody on the boat that knows how to steer the boat clear of those waters. We're all looking at you know today um, demand being out of sync with supply and 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 uh, you know supply not meeting demand. Um, but the prices are still very low and and nobody's able to steer this this ship clear of, of the storm there's people pushing the ship in different directions some say go to port some say go to starboard you know but but at the end of the day this the ship keeps sailing straight into this uh, stormy weather of, of um you know what what is certainly going to be a supply shock just like it was in in 2005, 2006, 2007, where there just simply wasn't enough supply uh, to satisfy the, the market demand. So, so that's where we are today. It, it's very akin to, to the time um, leading up to the uranium renaissance period of 2005, six and seven. Um, you know, everybody sees it coming. And nobody knows what to do to change it. It's, a, it's an interesting time. Uh, it's also, you know, a good time for investors when, when they're on board for this ride. Uh, you know, it's a rough ride through stormy waters, but you come out stronger and you come out with, you know, better companies that are, that are uh, well adapted to uh, difficult market conditions. And you know, today you hear, you know, many many companies saying, look, we're waiting for for higher prices. We we, you know, our our business plan is geared around higher prices and. I agree with everybody who says, you know, we're not going to produce uranium for um, you know, the spot market price or, or really even for the long-term price today. You know, if it's 30 or $31 a pound, that doesn't incentivize new production. So, you know, the uranium market's not fixing. It's, it's not helping us uh, steer the ship clear of the storm. Um, so we're going to we're going to head into the storm uh, and and it's going to be a fun ride for for those who uh, uh, produce uranium uh, the, for those who uh, you know are ready uh, the first movers the, the guys who can act fast when when the uranium market goes up uh, are going to be well rewarded and I think Peninsula today is in that in that position um, you know we're ready to act. Uh, with our projects and and you know so so we're going to take a read of the market we're going to we're going to uh, position ourselves according to that read and we're going to be ready for um, the market when it starts to change. And Wayne, what do you see taking place with long-term contracting? Do you see something similar to what happened last time? And and how long do you think it will last this time as far as the contracting cycle itself? You know, the wild card in, in, in the equation today is, is that we have the carry trade or the midterm market. Um, you know, what's changed since uh, 2000 is the development of, of the forward curve. Um, organizations, uh, good organizations like Numerico and now, you know, the other price reporting services offer data on, on a forward curve. And it, it's essentially a carry trade. You buy I mean, you get a contract for delivery in the next couple of years and you go out and you buy and you hold that material and, and you deliver it at a higher price and, and you make a few bucks. Uh, the long-term contracting trends have been impacted by the carry trade because, you know, that really wasn't 
we didn't have traders in the market in, in the early 2000s that were willing to um, carry inventory essentially for utilities. You know, the utility buyers now know that that you know with a carry trades uh, midterm uh, contract, you know they can get somebody else to to bear the cost of carrying the material for the next couple of years, and they'll just take the delivery on time. Uh, so the the contracting market has been challenging. Uh, producers need long-term contracts. Period. Uh, we need we need um, contracts that that help us build our business plans. Uh, Peninsula is fortunate to have some, but uh, you know that was Peninsula going out in in the post Fukushima market and and um, hustling and securing long-term sales contracts when when other folks were saying the prices are too low. You know, now with with uh, time in the rearview mirror, we could see that that Peninsula's management team did an excellent job of securing long-term contracts, which are a core asset for the company. But going out and getting new contracts today is more challenging. I see uh, I see that changing. I think I think it's going to change and it's going to shift to to uh, you know when security of supply becomes a, a larger concern. Uh, once supply shock has really hit the market, um, is when is when the behavior changes, and and security of supply is is going to become an issue, and then then the uh, utilities are going to turn to um, the companies that have proven um, to be a producer, uh, to be a reliable supplier for them, and they're going to be willing to um, write. Uh, long-term, you know, three, five, even 10-year contracts for supply um, because utilities, uh, by their very nature, have to be long-term planners. And in the last um, 10 years, I, I think the trend has been um, away from long-term planning and, and, and towards uh, just-in-time delivery of, of inventory uh, or supply. So that's shifting, that's changing, and I think it'll it'll uh, it'll change once the uh, the market is shocked with an absence of supply. When you can no longer find it in the spot market, uh, you'll start writing contracts. So in the U.S., the fuel group outcome uh, is is likely coming this month. What are your thoughts on this group, and what do you think will come out of it? Well, as we were, you know, we're recording this, we're, we're really just days away from, from the nuclear uh, fuel working group uh, submitting their report to the, to the president of the United States. And I've been involved in, in um, you know, some lobbying, uh, you know, in, in DC and, and certainly involved in, in the crafting of uh, recommendations of, of industry trade groups like the NEI and the Iranian Producers of America. Uh, I'm encouraged that uh, at this point in time, you know, the, the industry trade groups are, are aligned um, and, and the recommendations uh, have very strong alignment. Um, in the, the industry, you know, is looking for um, a, an impactful change, um, you know, in the uranium market, which can support uh, domestic uranium production in the United States. Um, you know, both both uh, industry trade groups that I was involved with uh, have recommended, uh, you know, that the government uh, do some 
uh, institute some buying programs. I think those are going to be um, uh, good choices. Uh, you know, in the long term, the U.S. government does need to um, improve its uh, and strengthen its its uh, inventory of uranium. It needs to make sure that it has a supply of domestic uranium, and it's probably better for the government to buy a little uranium um, every year over time than it is uh, to wait 20 years and then suddenly say, where are we going to get this uranium and we need a whole lot of it. Uh, so, so I see the, you know, the working group, um, you know, I can't say what they're going to recommend, but I think that they were receptive to the, to the ideas of, of uh, some government buying programs, uh, long-term contracts with suppliers, uh, with domestic producers. And today there's, there's really just a very limited number, a small handful of, of companies that are uh, prepared to turn uh, production on. So, there, so there's a really a, a small number of companies that could benefit immediately um, from, from uh, the government entering into a, a, a supply contracting phase. Uh, but I think that's really the best route. Um, you know, it never was the utilities uh, job to um, save the, the domestic uranium supply and, and, and ensure the national security, um, uh, which was the argument for the Section 232. You know, I think, I think the solutions of Section 232 were, were slightly misplaced, putting the, putting the burden on the utilities. Um, the solutions that came out of the recommendations and, and, and the, the groups that formed the, the recommendations for the working group, um, and are of a different nature. Um, and you have uh, the entire fuel cycle involved in preparing those recommendations, and, and there are a set of recommendations and, and actions that can be implemented to benefit the entire uh, U.S. domestic um, fuel cycle. Well, I appreciate your thoughts on that, and, and hopefully we'll be able to see shortly uh, what comes out of that. I want to switch gears uh, over to another topic, uh, Events, events in the in you know in the future and, and potential for oversupply. Um, do you do you see that oversupply could occur again by say 2030? And in your mind, what events could delay or ruin a rising uranium price environment? Uh, it's it's going to be really challenging for us to um, come into a situation of oversupply. Uh, in, you know, by 2030 again, I, I think, um, you know, again, demand is, is very uh, transparent and, and, you know, no matter who you turn to and, and, and whose demand model you look at, you see demand growing. Um, you know, at the same time, there's been a, a dearth of investment into, into um, new uranium projects. There, there's a small handful of companies that have uranium projects that are, uh, you know, at the ready um, and and can be ramped up. But um, you know, if you take them, if you take uh, um, most of of the the free world's um, uranium uh, developers and 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 you get them all to ramp up um, to their capacity, you still uh, just you you simply won't in the next ten years come to a situation where you're where you're greatly overproducing. And you know, my view on on um, the you know Kazakhstan, which really was the source of oversupply in in the, in the more recent past, is is that uh, 
that they're not going to be able to ramp up production um, uh, uh, largely greater than, than they have it today. Uh, I think Kazakhstan has its production centers producing. Um, some of them are going to uh, come to their, their natural end through, through depletion of the resources and others will be able to ramp up to displace um, the, the loss of, of productivity from, from the mines that are shut down because they're depleted. Uh, but it's gonna be a bigger challenge for, for um, Kazakhstan as a nation to um, take uh, their production from the current level and, and expand it 25 or even 50%. So, you know, if, if they could expand at 50%, I'd be, you know, in the next 10 years, I, I would be surprised. And, and yeah, folks, you can hold me accountable for that statement 10 years from now if you can find me. But, um, you know, what I know um, of, of the Kazakhstan uh, production cap capabilities, um, I don't think they're going to be the, the source of overproduction in the future. So, um, you know, it's just really where, where can it come from? And, and I don't see oversupply being a, a big issue in, in the future. It's, this is that big moving ship, you know, we're, we're moving to a situation of undersupply. We can all see it coming and, and, and nobody knows how to steer the ship clear of that storm. Uh, I think right. the bigger, <laughs> the bigger concern is undersupply. Right, and and to get to get even a potential for oversupply, you first need a favorable price for quite a period of time. Uh, so we haven't even got to that yet. And and with with that, uh, what do you see as the incentive price for uranium to alleviate the demand pressures over the next decade? I mean, what what are you seeing out there, and and what do you see Wayne internally uh, with what do you think is is really an incentive price to start to really bring on some of that supply? I'm pretty much with the consensus um, uh, that that we're going to need to see prices um, north of fifty dollars um, to to really incentivize a, a, a strong uh, investment in uranium production. Um, companies are going to need to be assured that uh, in the long term they can receive that fifty dollar pricing uh, for their production uh, to to put their production online. Uh, it's a long process. Uh, I went through that with uh, with UR Energy. You know, we started in 2007. It was late 2013 or or, or thereabouts when we we had that mine uh, finally permitted and and put online. You know, I don't think there's many places in the world where you can do it on a shorter time frame. I I think we did it you know pretty well. Peninsula also, you know, took took the Lance project from conception to production, um, you know, in a similar time frame uh, as UR Energy uh, did. Uh, you know, that was one of the things that attracted me me to Peninsula was that their pathway was, was so similar to, to the path that I was on. Um, it, it's just, you know, the reality of the situation is we're, we're sitting now in, in late 2019 and, you know, once you have a market, that allows you to make an investment decision. Uh, you still need, um, you know, a long time frame to to turn the switch on and have a mine fully ramped up and producing uh, at a at a healthy rate that contributes to the market. 
So, um, you know, that's why I say a decade um, is, is a pretty short time frame to be concerned about going from greatly undersupplied to oversupplied. Well, how about from an investor perspective? Uh, how do you think investors should approach this market and what strategies should they employ to participate in this market? I've got to look at, at the uranium renaissance period and the price trends of, of you know, 2005 to 2007. The, the chain, you know, going into 2005, the price of, of uranium was $20. And, and there were a number of companies that were out there, you know, sniffing, the, sniffing it out and, and realizing and seeing it coming that, that there's a supply shortage. This is there's a rebirth. We need to produce more uranium. By 2007, uh, you know, and emotions had gotten the best of the market, and, and the uranium price had, had moved from essentially twenty dollars to its peak around one hundred thirty dollars. Um, you know, it, and that was just in two short years. Uh, so, you have, investors have to look at companies that are ready to pull the switch, the first actors, the the the, the companies that that are going to be able to take advantage of the rising market. Um, and, you know, that, that's not um, the Uranium Explorer today. I mean, the Uranium Explorers are going to have some fun with their share prices, and investors will do well with Uranium Explorers. Uh, uranium developers are, are going to get their, their development projects going and funded, and, and uh, I hope for, for all of their sakes that they don't have the same experience I had with your energy and have their babies born back in a bad market because the timelines it takes to put a mine into production um, usually exceed the, the time that the market is good. Um, and, and that was certainly the case in, in 2007. Um, you know, so, so to play the market today, you have to look at companies that are prepared to, um, you know, to make the investment decision, to, to pull the switch and ramp up production and, and those that are going to be the first to market with their pounds, because they're the ones who are going to, you know, benefit the most from from rising prices, and and they're those are the companies that are going to be there in the long term. Um, you know, they already survived uh, this bear market that we're in, and they're going to be the companies that are going to thrive in it in the next bull market. Well, let's move over to the company. Uh, can you give the audience an overview of the company uh, in general? Tell us about the management team, capital structure, and the key shareholders. Yeah, well, Peninsula has a um, on the ground a, a very experienced management team. Obviously, you know we're a uranium producer. Um, you know we have we have a project which we brought from conception to production, and it was put into production in 2015. Uh, today we're you know we're, we're driving production with essentially two feet on the brakes. We're you know we're not producing um, any more uranium than we need to satisfy our contracts, but our production team is in place. Uh, we have uh, uh, a site manager with 40 years of experience in your in in global uranium production. Uh, we have. Uh, the vice president of geology with a similar uh, amount of experience. We have, you know, one of the best permitting and regulatory guys in the industry today. Uh, you know, very highly respected and very effective in his work, and that shows, um, you know, with the actions that that Peninsula has done in the last couple of years. And we have we have a good solid operating team. So, you know, 
on-site our management team is is uh, proven and and uh, capable. Uh, our board is we keep a very small board. We have um, five members on our board, uh, but in that board we have. Uh, uh, experts in uranium markets. We have experts in uranium production, um, and you know, and with people with past experience as CEO and 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 in situ recovery technical, and we have capital markets folks like our chairman, you know, who who is a long time, uh, uh, you know, participant in raising money for 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 mining companies. So, um, in in a very small board, we have. Uh, uh, all the expertise that that you need to run a company like Peninsula, and um, and we actually have it in spades. We have you know duplication of capital market strengths with our CFO and finance director. Uh, you know we have duplication in technical uh, leadership. Uh, um, you know with with some of our non-executive directors, and 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 we have duplication in uranium markets experience. So uh, you know all in all, a, a very deep. And, and experienced uh, team, uh, but a small team at the same time, um, and and that's just how Peninsula looks today. And, and, and I think we're in great shape to move forward with the team we have. Um, I think the second part of the question is really uh, going to tell us about uh, our share position, our market cap. Uh, now we have about 250 million shares on issue on the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, today, our, our market capitalization is around $50 million Australian or, or $35 million U.S. dollars. Uh, enterprise value being a little higher, uh, $62 million Australian, or $43 or thereabouts uh, uh, U.S., uh, with our share price sitting around $0.20 uh, cents per share. Um, our our uh, largest shareholders uh, and for a long time, uh, long time supporter resource capital funds um, sits with a, a position just under 10%. Paradise uh, Investment Management out of um, Australia, uh, a very large and, and, and strong resource uh, investor holds a, also holds about 10%. And then, um, you know, beyond the, those two major shareholders of record, um, you know, we have a, a large number of, of shareholders hold uh, uh, one, two, or three percent of the of the company institutionally, and and uh, um, you know, but we have we've been really enjoying a good support in the Australian markets where where the company is listed, and you know, our top twenty shareholders hold about sixty uh, percent of the company. Appreciate you giving uh, the overview on that and, and sharing that information with us. What have you done? Uh, and I know you guys have made some some attempts and, and done a few things on the GNA side. Uh, what have you guys done to keep the expenses cut down during these tough market times? Can you highlight a few actions uh, taken in this regard? Well, uh, we've never. Uh, I, I guess I joined the company about two and a half years ago, and, and we've never really had a large GNA expense um, in, a, in in the years following uh, um, my my engagement as the CEO of the company. We keep a small um, corporate office in in Perth, Australia, uh, manned by four people. And uh, the rest of our folks are here in the United States, uh, actively engaged in in, in the flagship property, the Lance Project in Wyoming. 
Um, so, you know, we, we have a small overhead to start with. Um, uh, and and um, you know, we've we've continued to to whittle away at non-essential costs, which is which is an imperative for uh, for any company that's enduring a, a prolonged bear market. Um, you know, we've we've reduced our, our production rates uh, really just to satisfy the, the long-term sales contracts that we have, um, so that we're not you know, producing excess material into an oversized or oversupplied market. Uh, I think that's the responsible thing to do, um, you know, for the markets, but also for for the finance of the company. And um, you know, sometimes we're able to satisfy our contracts with with um, material that we purchase in the market, and we've been able to purchase mar um, market source material at prices lower than our production costs. So. Um, you know, there there again, we get to realize the spread between. Um, you know the the low prices today and and the the fixed prices of our contracts and that, and that's been uh, you know good on the revenue side for the company um, but you know I think I think we've you know pushed our our uh, our overhead costs uh, down substantially and, and we've also um, you know minimized our production expenditures um, during this period of the market. And Wayne, can you can you share with us uh, where are you guys at uh, with regards to all-in costs? Um, can you can you share that with us? Well, absolutely. You know, and and for that, I, I would like to you know rely on the feasibility study which we released uh, in uh, a little over a year ago. Um, you know, we've we've been gearing our project to um, to adopt the uh, the world's leading. Um, uh, process chemistry for in situ uh, recovery, which is which is low pH or, or acid leach chemistries, and and we put a feasibility study out, um, which which uh, really shows that you know today with our with our current production uh, capacity, we could be producing at an all-in sustaining cost of about forty dollars a pound, the, the direct production costs uh, around fifteen dollars a pound. Uh, of course, we're not producing at, at the 1.1 million pound capacity of our plant today. We're we're really uh, idling the, the project. So, uh, you know, for the most part, um, you know, our, our production costs are, are um, you know, on the uh, on the high side of, of uh, what the feasibility study projects. I think the you know the attraction to this company is is really. You know, when we get into the good markets, and and uh, you know, the markets need uh, greater production rates from U.S. facilities like ours. And if we double our production capacity, which is a, a modest uh, capital expenditure, you know, and, and go above two million pounds per year, our all-in sustaining costs are projected to be in the thirty-dollar uh, price range. And uh, obviously, you know, the markets, in order to incentivize that sort of thing, are going to be well. Well above thirty dollars a pound, so um, you know we could drop our direct production costs down around nine dollars a pound, and all of sustaining costs in the in the low thirties, uh, thirty to thirty one dollars a pound, uh, and that would be optimal for this company. Uh, we actually have a licensed production capacity at Lance of, of up to three million pounds. Uh, we've built out the the capacity at 1.1 million pounds when the, when the plant was first built. So there's a couple of uh, staged expansions planned for the future. Um, but uh, you know, a little turn.
turn in the market could could mean a lot for us and and uh, incentivize greater production rates, which uh, in which we realize the economies of scale and and see our all in sustaining costs drop from around forty dollars down to around thirty dollars. And Wayne, for the audience that is not familiar, can you can you give us an update on on Lance as to the status, the the optimization work that's going on with the low pH ISR method, and and give us for for those who don't know or haven't looked it up, has there been some cost uh, reductions as a result of this new low pH ISR method that's being employed? Well, um, we haven't uh, started the commercial use of the low pH uh, as of yet. Uh, it was uh, the end of July this year uh, that we received the second of, of the two uh, major license amendments, uh, the approval on the second amendment. Um, so, uh, you know, we we started uh, in in 2000 and late 2017, I guess, uh, introducing the notion that we would sh switch from alkaline chemistry to a low pH chemistry at our at our project and fundamentally uh, you know about half of the world's uranium is produced with the low pH uh, ISR methodology and it is the the world's uh, lowest cost method of producing uranium uh, so you know we asked ourselves why are we using the, the alkaline chemistry when when the low pH uh, uh, should be much more effective and 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 uh, cost effective. Um, we we went down the path uh, and we led the U.S. industry in in the thought process of of shifting from alkaline chemistry, which is the way all of the U.S. Um, ISR producers have gone, um, you know, throughout my career, and 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 we started adopting the low pH. We recognized it would take. Um, uh, regulatory uh, approvals, and and some people said those would be unattainable, uh, uh, unobtainable, whatever. And uh, it, but it doesn't matter what they said because today I sit with uh, the two major amendments that we needed completed. Uh, the regulatory work went um, quite satisfactorily. Uh, they, we delivered the permits on the timelines that we projected. And uh, you know, as of the end of this summer, you know, you know, at the end of July, we have both of the authorizations to move forward. So now it's really a matter of us um, making the investment decision to to invest the, the the modest amount of capital that it's going to take for us to transition the project from alkaline to uh, to the low pH chemistry. And you know, by that, the feasibility study projected. Uh, somewhere on the order of five to six million dollars of capital for the transition. Um, you know, we started doing some of that transition. Uh, we did a, a field leach trial um, to demonstrate the effectiveness of the low pH. That trial went quite well, um, and, and you know, met our expectations for the demonstration. But uh, we're still waiting. Um, you know, we have the uranium in inventory and the ability to satisfy our contracts without making that investment. So, um, you know, we're making that investment slowly over time rather than, uh, you know, making an immediate shift. So we haven't realized uh, the, the new economics through the low pH, but we have put the project in the position to move forward uh, on a moment's notice with, a, with an investment decision. And what do you think that time frame is going to be uh, once you guys 
decide to move forward uh, to make to make everything ready to uh, to produce. Uh, you know, I think it it'll take us. Uh, you know, we'll be able to immediately start uh, mining um, with the low pH chemistry in the existing well fields, which have not been effectively mined with alkaline. Um, you know, we should be able to. Uh, you know, with with uh, two to three months of of lead time, be able to start producing again in the old well fields. Uh, we need to build some new well fields and put some capital into into some new mining areas. Um, you know, to bring us up to full production rate. Um, and, and on that process of, of developing, you know, drilling and developing and 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 bringing into our license a new well field usually takes a year or so. Um, but we'll be mining in the older areas during the course of that year. So, you know, we'd be ramping up production, um, you know, from, from an investment decision, and it's probably three months to start um, the, the low pH operations and, and another, uh, you know, year before we can really be uh, producing at a, a um, strong uh, license uh, rate. And Wayne, does that have anything to do with with uh, once you guys do this? Uh, is there with the current contracts you have in place? And I want to ask about that in a moment. But with the contracts you have in place, is you guys doing some of this work? Is it dependent upon the uranium price where it stands now, or do you guys feel like with the contracts you have that it's really not so dependent upon the uranium price? Well, in in the near term, it is dependent on the uranium price because we have the ability to satisfy our near term contract obligations um, through the market and through the inventory that we have today. So it's not it's not an imperative for us to be producing at Lance to satisfy our contracts in the near term. Uh, our contract book does ramp up in volumes, um, you know, really starting in in the year 2021. And we have a base load volume that would justify the investment decision for for higher production rates in 2021, without regard to to what market direction is. Um, so you know we'll be we'll be hoping that um, you know the market is going to support not just uh, producing to satisfy our contracts in 2021, but but to to be producing for new contracts and and. And producing into a, a spot price that uh, that supports um, our our mind uh, higher higher production volumes because with higher production volumes you get the economy of scale and and lower unit costs so you know optimally the price goes up in in the in the course of the next year year and a half and and in the year 2021 we're uh, not just uh, producing to meet our current contracts, but we're we're producing extra volumes and and enjoying a, a more favorable market. And for you guys going into the uh, into the market to buy material and deliver uh, to fulfill some of the contracts now, how has that been working out for you as far as availability of material? Um, have you guys been able to acquire materials uh, at a at a good price in the market and and deliver with with no issues so far? Yeah, um, you know, this too is a train we saw coming, uh, you know, and and um, when the market was in the low 20s, um, not too long ago, we entered into some purchase agreements um, that help us satisfy our, our contract deliveries, not just uh, this year, but next year. Um, so, so we have contracted for purchasing some material in the market uh, 
uh, prices below $25 a pound, and, and we've used those purchases uh, uh, in combination with our production um, to satisfy our, our deliveries in 2019, and we'll continue to do that in 2020. Um, today, the market still is you know, wide open. The, the volumes that we need would uh, be pretty readily available in the spot market or in the in the the midterm market and, and uh, you know the forward price curve is still favorable for us to continue to do that um, but there are limitations in our contract as to um, how much material is open origin and, and how much is is needed to be produced from from the land site and uh, you know we'll respect those uh, those clauses and, and we'll produce from the land site as as we need to and we'll purchase from the market as we can can you give us a little bit more information on the contracting situation as it stands now? Um, so you guys have had some different contracts entered into over the last couple of years. Um, how much How much of the production, just for the audience who is unfamiliar, how much of the production is sold under long-term contracts? And what does the delivery book look like as far as when that production will be delivered? And can you also highlight for us the pricing parameters that have been agreed to? Absolutely. You know, we have five sales agreements um, with, with with utilities, uh, major utilities, uh, some in North America and some in Europe. Um, and, and the average, uh, you know, those 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 contracts are are not market based uh, contracts; are actually base price escalated. So we can project that the the average uh, delivery price will be in the in the fifty one to fifty three dollar price range with the escalators in place. Um, our contract portfolio with with these five sales agreements carries through to the year 2030, uh, and and it really represents about uh, 30 to 40 percent of our uh, current production capacity. Which you know our current production capacity is about 1.1 million pounds per year. So so what you're looking at is you know starting in the year 2021, um, we're probably four to six hundred thousand pounds per year. Um, and depending on the year, um, presently we're we're only delivering uh, um, you know on the order of 200 uh, or thereabouts uh, 200,000 pounds per year in, in 2019 and 2020. So so these are actually the lean years. Um, uh, back at the start of 2018, we monetized a portion of uh, one of our sales contracts. And for that monetization, we received $20 million. It's, it's helped us as a company stay out of the equity markets for a, a long time. Uh, I think if, you know, we use that asset in a, in a very different way, rather than delivering into the contracts, we took cash up front. That meant that our volumes in 2019 and 2020 were, were lower. Uh, and we knew that going in. Um, but that monetization, as I said, it, you know, it's, it's been a way to use an asset and and uh, and I'm earnest when I tell you that our contracts are an asset that uh, that this company has that very few other um, junior mining companies have. You really don't find any other junior mining companies positioned with with contract portfolios like Peninsula, um, and you know that that truly sets us apart. And I don't think the market recognizes it. You know that we were able to take 20 million dollars in a monetization transaction. And avoid uh, diluting our um, uh, shareholders' interests uh, for the last two years on account of that. 
you know, is, is quite remarkable and, and, and has gone unrewarded. Um, you know, the value of our contract book is, is hard to understate. Um, you know, will we have uh, six million pounds remaining under contract to, to be delivered um, between now and the year 2030? And, uh, you know, when we can, we'll build on that book. And Wayne, contracts that you guys were able to secure, who was instrumental in, in getting some of that done over the last couple of years? Is there, is there some people you want to mention there that, that helped get that job done? Well, certainly, uh, you know, those contracts were, were with the company when I joined the company, and, and I, I certainly don't uh, deserve the credit for the contracts. Uh, that really goes to the management team that preceded me. Uh, the CEO, who, who was dogged in, in his determination to get contracts um, when everybody else in the market was saying, you know, now's not the time to be contracting long term because the price will be higher in the future. Well, like I said, you know, with the lens of hindsight, we see that that these uh, 50 to $53 uh, per pound contracts are are a true asset to the company today, but uh, our board and 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 our past CEO were, were instrumental in securing those contracts. And Wayne, I want to switch gears. How was local support for the company and the Lance project? Uh, how is how is the community relations going, and what work are you doing to maintain those community relationships? Well, our site team has has um, always. Put a, a large focus on on community relations. Um, you know, we sponsor scholarship programs at the local high schools and 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 attend local government meetings. Um, you know, are very transparent about our operations. And uh, you know, over time, uh, having a, a really good environmental compliance record has has led us to the point that that the community embraces us uh, as a uranium producer. Um, in in the area in the region, um, you know, when we went to the regulators and we asked for uh, the changes in the um, license, uh, which would allow us to to shift to low pH chemistry uh, at our project, you know, we anticipated that we would have some level of of opposition to those changes, but um, um, the public comment periods on on the two uh, major license amendments. Um, went with without significant comment and I think that's a reflection of how well we're embraced in the community um, you know we, we're trying to be a, a good citizen in the community we're active where we are and, and the, the project team is has done an extraordinary job of, of, of sharing information with with the local landowners with the local communities and keeping them up to date on on the developments of the company and, and I think that goes a long way when when you you know you're open and available uh, for for public questions, uh, I, I think that that matters to the community. And so today, I, I think we enjoy a, a very good position in the community, and we're welcome there. Well, why now should potential investors be considering Peninsula Energy? What would you say to potential investors who are listening? Well, you know, we all see it coming. Um, I think. Supply uh, and demand is, is, you know, and the supply shock is is coming right around the corner. You know, there's some great catalysts for the uranium market that should should give our company a, a significant uplift. Um, you know, those catalysts 
um, you know, could be the, the outcome of the nuclear fuel working group. Um, it, but other more shocking catalysts could be, you know, trade wars in our, the U.S. trade wars with China and, and, and the potential for sanctions on um, uh, the nuclear players of, of Russia and Iran. Um, you know, today, today those, you know, those storylines are developing, but, um, you know, Iran's nuclear program and, and Russia's involvement in Iran's nuclear program could lead to, to sanctions on both na nations and, and create a, a significant supply shock. Um, I think, you know, the, the table is set for the market to turn and we've all been very patient investors. Um, you know, those who see the long term know that it's coming. Uh, you have to have a long-term perspective for for an investment in any uranium company, but there's only a, a, a very small handful today uh, of of uranium companies that are investable. Uh, you know, back in 2007, there was probably 500 companies that you could choose from that, that could spell uranium and, and had an ambition to. Um, you know, be a uranium producer. Today, there's a list of about 25, you know, certainly less than 30 uranium companies globally, and very few of them are positioned like Peninsula with the long-term protection of, of a valuable contract. Look, uh, we have a long-life asset at Lance. We really didn't talk about that, but but the Lance project today is has the largest defined U.S. uranium resource of any project. And we have a, a clear, clear visibility uh, to to very short timelines to production, you know, to significant production. Uh, our management team has delivered on all of its promises in in the most recent years, particularly centered around the transformation to low pH. Uh, and we're going to be a you know a real cost leader in the United States uranium as as a United States uranium producer utilizing the world's best process chemistry for, for uranium recovery. So, you know, we've positioned ourselves well. Uh, we're production ready. We have low capital requirements. We have ongoing revenues. We have a strong and proven team. And, and we're, we're using the globally best methods for uranium recovery. Uh, Peninsula's a strong company right now um, in, a, in a weak market. And how can investors reach out to the company and to you for more information? Well, certainly uh, look up our website, uh, Peninsula Energy Limited. Um, it's an Australian company, and I'm readily uh, available. I, I'm very responsive to uh, investor questions. Most most investors are surprised to see how quickly I'll respond to their questions by email, and uh, I'll make my email publicly available. It is wh at pel.net.au. So you know, investors who've heard this program and are interested in more information may contact me directly. I'll be responsive, and you can also look at our website. Well, Wayne, let's leave it there. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us to talk about the company, and, and good luck moving forward. Thank you, Andrew. It's been my pleasure, and, and uh, I wish you well in, in your endeavors with uh, Smith Weekly.